contemplation begin to uh, use the term and to uh, observe how the, even the word affects your consciousness just by thinking the word death uh, and how that affects consciousness. Now that's a reflection. You know, just just the word itself has, uh, has its effect as a Say with the word love and happy life and and on positive terms, and they have they have effect on their consciousness in the moment. And the word death has its own message. So I remember one time in the book, uh, Mindfulness Path to the Deathless, when they were going to publish that, and then they objected to the first. It was going to be the path to the deathless. And then there's this objection because deathless had the word death in it, even though deathless. <laughs> but because the word death was in it, uh, that's how mindfulness uh, seemed to be, uh, make it a little better or ease the pain or the, the uh, re- reaction. Now that's, uh, you know, and just uh, how publishers see things and and editors and whatnot. So it is, uh, it is uh, something to reflect upon and observe. And just noticing when when uh, death is the end of something, you know, so that it, like, uh, it's what we haven't experienced yet. You know, in terms of a physical death. <clears throat> so we recognize that that's in the future and so that, that right now at this very moment uh, this the subject of death is is what is going to happen which we're all ev- eventually and inevitably going to experience in the future 
And so this is to establish this sense of knowing, of pure conscious awareness, within the point of awareness that we're experiencing at this very moment. So that we're, when we, we think of our own death, and it does become personal again, becomes, you know, what will I do, what will happen to me in the future? <clears throat> and uh, how, how much longer do I have left to live? Speculation about me and mine and my body, my health, and the and the in inevitable uh, experience of death that everyone is going to meet at the end of their life. Now, knowing that and seeing it in terms of personal identity is one way of looking at it. But then, in terms of reflecting on it. You know, we're not taking the, the personal elements out of it, the assumptions that I am my body and that I am this age, you know, I'm the age of my body and I am the appearance of my body and I'm the gender of my body and the color of my skin and my height and my proportions are me and this is my life and, and uh, the experience, memories of pain. None of us want a painful death. We'd like to have a peaceful death. You know, we, we hear, or we see, or we observe people that die in great pain, suffering. And in regards to suicide, what happens, you know, the, uh, that's the end where you take your own, uh, kill yourself. And of course, what is that about? And of course, uh, opening to the present moment, we observe that right now death is uh, when I when I think intentionally think the word death. It does give a sense of of just finishing off something. It can be ominous because death is always associated with blackness or or. Um, the unknown, a lot of fear generated around it, and and it's uh, it's not doesn't convey some kind of happiness or beauty usually to us. It's usually you know when we talk about death, it's usually about horror films or murders or things like that, tragedies. But maybe you know this this uh, you know this experience of living uh, with a human body for a lifetime. The important thing is to prepare for the death of of the of the body. So, in in my own experience, this preparation for death is, uh, of course, very much what we're concerned with in in sangha life. Being, you know, being in uh, penetrating the truths, recognizing the deathless realizing deathlessness is the aim of this life and uh, it's not to to prepare me as a person for death uh, some kind of make it an easy passage because who knows how I'm going to die what kind of conditions will arise in which uh, death will I'll experience that 
through consciousness as this body itself packs up and drops away. So then we, <clears throat> the reality of deathlessness, because this is, a, this is not a, something you can't know. You know, the, the deathless or the amata dhamma is reality. And it's this awakeness to reality or to dhamma that is the uh, importance, uh, that, you know, of the Buddhist path. Why we're here, why we're practicing, why we're living this life is to realize, recognize the deathless. So when we talk, when we ordain and we take the precepts and all that, it's to realize Nibbāna. So realizing Nibbāna can sound like some kind of uh, um, goal, spiritual goal that I have to hope to attain. But when I think of it in that way, you know, it's still, it's still put into personal terms. I have to spend my life as a celibate monk, practicing mindfulness, denying myself all the sensory pleasures in order to prepare myself for my death when my <laughs> and and or to try to attain nibbana as some kind of personal achievement or goal in life. So then getting back to the, this, this basic ignorance, this avicca. Uh, so avicca means not knowing reality. Avicca is living in a world of delusion, of illusion. And reality is always here and now. It's not something separate or remote or far away. It's not an abstract idea or a metaphysical kind of positioning of the intellect. And, and, and so when we use this word reality, realization, this, this is the, the point of awareness, practices of mindfulness. Because as I've said, I don't know how many times, is mindfulness is the path to the deathless or the gate to the deathless. And then deathless is Mindfulness, in other words. Now, when you try to make yourself mindful, and it's coming from the self-view again, you know, and I've got to practice mindfulness, that's still operating from the delusion of a self, that I'm somebody who needs to be mindful. And this is, this is where it, it, it gets very confusing for most people, because we, you know, even our monastic life is full of self, of me and my practice and what I think and what I believe in and how I would like things to be and how it should be and about views of oneself, about one's ability or spiritual attainment or lack of them. So therefore, you know, I had, when I, before coming to Amarvati in the early 80s at Chitters, I had this you know, there's certain things that 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 seem to come into one's consciousness as some kind of nimitta or sign that uh, 
gets, you know, that would, uh, be, I'd become quite obsessed with it for a while. And this, this was at Chithurst in, in those five years I spent there where this, uh, this uh, symbol of the island became very strong. Um, because this is in the uh, uh, couple's questions in the uh, Sutta Nipata, and this struck me one time you're reading this Sutta Nipata, and and uh, this particular passage, there is an island you cannot go beyond, and so forth. This this immediately kind of something in, you know in a kind of an intuition, because the sense of an island. That, is it getting more and more centered in awareness as the awareness is less striving on a personal level, less, you know, organized and, and held in, in views and opinions about meditation practice. Uh, this, 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 and the island is a symbol, you know, it's a symbol for Nibbana, the deathless. Because in terms of this present moment, you know, this uh, this island or this point of awareness that, you know, you're, we're experiencing awareness from a point of consciousness. And so the bodies we have are conscious forms in the universe. You know, there's, they're seemingly separate conscious forms, but we're experiencing consciousness through uh, these conditions, the human body, the human condition, the four elements, earth, fire, water, and air, and then space and consciousness. And it's here and now, it's, it's, and it's, uh, and so this, this is the, uh, the reality of this moment. This is the island, or as I said before, this is the center of the universe. Because for each one of us, we are the center, the very center, the center point of the universe. Now, not in an abstract way, in terms of, you know, uh, geography and, and uh, astronomy and so on. But in terms of experience at this very moment. And then when you when you contemplate, you're experiencing from this point. You're experiencing everything right now from this point. I don't know about you, but that's that's what I see. <laughs> so then, this point of awareness, gate to the deathless, awakenedness. There is an island you cannot go beyond. So say the island is the center. You can't, you know, wherever, the, the shore around it. The shore that hath no shore beyond it. And so this is, uh, and this is to recognize that, that this is the way it is. The reality is now present, aware. And uh, to investigate this. But taking out the personal, the personal uh, distortions that we create around it. Like if I think I am the center of the universe, Ajahn Sumedho is the center of the universe, it sounds 
like I'm a megalomaniac, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm God maybe. So that doesn't doesn't make sense in terms of that's not what I'm saying. I'm not interpreting this moment from the self position, but from the existential reality of consciousness of this moment is like this. Existence, consciousness, awareness. And the self then arises and ceases, you know, so if I, if I start thinking about it or doubting it or anything, then that's usually, that's always the result of thinking. So this is not a matter of thinking and analyzing and and reasoning it out, but in recognizing. So in in my own experience, when I talk about the sound of silence, this sound of silence then is this what I what is most strong in this in this pure awareness. If I start thinking, then I uh, uh, then I forget sound of silence. And I start worrying about the future or regretting the past or <clears throat> you know getting caught up in in the my own history, my own views, my own desires and loves and hates and fears. But if I stop thinking and just rest in this awareness. So in this uh, sound of silence and this resting in this stream of awareness is where the, the thinking process is no longer necessary. It's not a thought anymore. It's not something I create out of desire or ignorance. It's just an awakened, just a, a attentive, awakened awareness from this point. And in this point of consciousness, you know, so I see, see you as, uh, you know, through sight, through my eyes, then you're separate. But if I don't, if I don't, you know, attach to the sensory experience, but just to the pure awareness, if I'm just resting in awareness, then that sense of separation, uh, falls away, division or duality. And then, of course, the, you know, you, you recognize this is real, this is not some kind of personal goal that I'm on or some kind of, uh, you know, condition that I'm creating, and, uh, you know, some some kind of fantasy or abstract idea or something I'm personally believing in or promoting. Because in this point of awareness there isn't any self, non-attachment, non-suffering. So in the Four Noble Truths and recognizing this, this using suffering as the kind of skillful means of uh, recognizing or realizing Nibbana. Because how many of you spent the day today suffering? 
You know, how much suffering have you experienced today? And what what is it that you're attached to that makes you suffer? You know, so then we think, well, you know, I don't like this and I don't like, I don't agree with that and I want, you know, then we, we, we get caught into the thinking process and into, you know, what we like or don't like or agree with and don't agree with or what we want or don't want. But that's the dukkha, that's the first noble truth, wanting and not wanting. That's, uh, you know, that's where we recognize it. today if, if there's some kind of wanting, you know, that I, without awareness, I'm just caught in some desire or some complaint. So today it went over to have tea with the monks and uh, in the common room and a monk came in and and uh, with the chocolate and only this tiny amount of cheese. So I don't know whether the kitchen is determined to ration cheese to the monks, but Anyway, it was a piddling amount of cheese. <laughs> and so we, you know, I started complaining. I said, what's wrong with it? They only give this, there's not enough for it. And so then as soon as I started complaining, Ajahn Vimalo comes in with Iron Evans, who's just come over from Italy, with a big slab of Parmesan cheese. <laughs> so it was ironic, wasn't it? So that was really quite funny, but just to, you know, the suffering of wanting something, it wasn't, you know, one really didn't suffer about it. But the, the world is like this, you know, it's not, going to be, you know, there's always something wrong, something, somebody to blame in, in, the, in the world. And so the world is basically dukkha. Its nature is suffering, is, is inadequacy, is unsatisfactoriness. That's its very nature. And the world is never going to be uh, uh, what we really want. So, this is uh, this is where the the sangha life is based on contentment with what we have, because you know being content and being grateful rather than always wanting more and and what we have isn't good enough and and we need something better all the time. If we get caught into that, then we are suffering, uh, you know, creating suffering. And then our lives are in that realm, in the worldly realm again, the samsara. So that's why the samana life is one based on contentment <clears throat> and and gratitude, rather than on achievements, attainments, and 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 trying to create perfect uh, conditions on on the in the society for our, to make us feel okay. And this is this is very important to 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 develop contentment because in the holy life this contentment is is a very 
you know, is a, is the foundation of it. You're never going to, no matter how many years you meditate, if you don't have any contentment, it's never going to really work for you. And you see people leaving and and disappointed after years of meditation and so forth because uh, because of that, you know, they've practiced diligently with the, with the attitude of personal attainment, achievement, getting something or getting rid of something. So after you know a lifetime of trying to attain nibbana from this sense of you know of me of this sakya ditti or self view. You know, it's it's you know it's probably you know uh, still a, you know still a nice way to live even at a, you know, even if it's still even if you're still deluded by it. <laughs> but <laughs> but the point of it is is to is to awaken and to uh, to reflect and to recognize realize nibbana. Reality, Dhamma. Dhamma is, is the reality of this moment. It's, it's not an abstract. Now, in the, the reality of this moment is it's like this. Now, this when I when I when I use these words, what I'm doing is is I'm opening to this moment as it is, both internally and in my own. Uh, body and my own consciousness and what I experience through the senses. So this is, this is where, you know, this is an intuitive moment. This is intuitive intelligence. This is uh, sati sampachanya, sati panya. It's not concentrated on anything, but you can start looking for something. You know, so you start, reality is now, here and now, Dhamma. What is it? Can I don't see it? Where is it? Is it, you know, is it my breath? Or So you're, you're, you're trying to, to, to imagine, to, to find something. Uh, you know, something to latch on to. Something to, that you can define and say, Dhamma is, you know, this is it, rather than, this act of surrender, of trust, which is merely the, this awareness that receives. It's receptive. It's not critical. It's not, it's not comparing or, or preferring or complaining or judging or thinking. So when I, you know, training myself over the years of this, this uh, sound of silence, then, you know, the result of that is that I have very, you know, spacious consciousness, that, you know, in my life now. Result of that kind of practice. You know, it's, own, it's no longer like I have to try to practice or, or uh, do anything. I used to be, you know, diligent in sitting so many hours a day, and I know that compulsion to do that's gone because the uh, this awareness now is is is, uh, is stronger than the uh, 
um, say the tendency to believe in in my own emotional habits or feelings or be or or be caught up in all the worldly problems because you know in in monastic life in any kind whether it's in monasteries or in families or in cities or in mountains or on desert islands there's <laughs> always going to be something irritating, frustrating, unwanted. Because that's the way this sense realm is. It's not it's not heavenly realm, it's a sense realm. So it's a, it's you know it's, it's going it includes everything. And it's about including all conditioned phenomena is impermanent. And and so this all conditioned phenomena is what we're experiencing in consciousness. And yet all conditioned phenomena that that we're experiencing at this moment is is received. It's a receptive natural state of being. It's not discriminating. So that's why we call it intuitive. Because you're not focused on anything or trying to find anything, but just opening, receiving listening, attentive. So in, uh, you know, then they, then all the, uh, these t Dharma teachings are skillful means for investigating. Like even the Four Noble Truths, you know, if you really trust in this practice, then, then that is a very skillful way of investigating experience because we all have our Vipaka Kama. You know, so we we have to we have you know each one of us is going to experience vipaka karma or the resultant karma, and he, and that karma is going to be different from you know from one being to the other, because we have different karma. We have common, I mean, human karma and things like that that we share, but on uh, emotional tendencies or memories, uh, hereditary conditions and so forth, we're all different. So we have these these individual uh, conditions. We all have our own particular uh, reactions to experience our cultural conditioned attitudes and sense of self and all that that comes through generation, through culture, through ethnic background, through whatever, you know, conditions that have affected uh, our lives Within, from the birth of this body to the present moment. But with awareness, then this is embracing the whole of that, you know. The Vipaka Kama now is this. Now listening to um, the news, you know, you hear all these kind of depressing, they, the news is always quite depressing these days. It's all about where how many people have been blown up by bombs, or in Afghanistan, in Palestine, in in Iraq, and then there's you know there's fear and and uh, there's dishonesty and corruption all the time. You don't trust the governments anywhere. You know they lie and they they're just out to 
get our votes and to to delude us. You know, so it's it's uh, you know, when you hear the the news about you know the the Labour and Tory parties, you know that they aren't interested in our awakening, but in our you know in our in in uh, in convincing us that that we should go side with them to have preferences or strong views and opinions. So I mean these are these are just the way the world operates. And it's always been like that. You know, there's always been, you know, the uh you know, one tribe looking down on another and well, you know, one you know, class consciousness and race racism and so forth. These are you know, these are just the result of ignorance and attachment uh, and conditioning. So the, you know, and that that's going to go on, even though we can become more idealistic about it, you know, and, and more kind of altruistic, it's still going to, it still operates. Because that dualism is a, is the basic delusion. We're trapped into delusion. As, our, as what we consider as real, as our reality. And the basic delusion is self. I am this, this person, this body. Now if I take self out of it, then there's consciousness. And consciousness is, is natural, it's not cultural, it's not personal. But it's real. It's not airy fairy and something that that it depends on high level or deep concentration or or deep profound dhamma experiences or anything. As long as you're caught in that in that dualism of thinking of deep meditation and then shallow meditation, isn't it? We've got to go deeper and deeper. And this uh, so this brings up the sense of of yourself as not being deep enough. You haven't really gone deep enough yet. And so you've got to practice harder in order to have a deeper meditation and get more samadhi and stop your wandering mind. And all this is, is from the self-view. This is sakyaditi, complete sakyaditi. So you can see after years of practice from that Sakyaditi position, you're going to be disappointed. You know, it's not going to work because, you know, you can get tranquility through controlling things. But how long can you spend your life controlling the world so that you can maintain tranquility? Or is it much more substantial than just a a kind of delicate a level of refined samadhi, the reality of now isn't delicate. It's just, you know, it's, it's always this way. Present, pure presence, awareness. And the delicacies are around, you know, desires and and preferences and and uh, so forth, and memories. You know, you have memories of wanting 
a, a, a peaceful meditation practice, wanting a good, good vasa retreat. Peaceful. You don't want to be in a place where there's a lot of, of uh, unpleasant things happening because you want peaceful practice with peaceful conditions and harmonious friendships and everything like that just so I'm, I feel peaceful and I can get my practice together. And if you, if, if that's what you're doing, then of course, you know, you, you can get some peace by, you know, controlling everything around you, but when you lose that control, what happens? You know, when, you know, one just get, it just, it's, one gets frustrated and fed up. So therefore, uh, you know, like the, uh, the the sangha life isn't meant to be, you know, the experience of peacefulness and harmony. We're not here to 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 live in harmony and peace, but to through awakenness. Through attention, through investigating the suffering we do have. You know, so if we, if our aim is to create a, a community of, you know, an ideal community of harmonious meditators, you know, it's still, it's not going to work. You know, it won't, you know, sometimes it might be like that, but you can't sustain it on that level. Things change, come and go. People uh, become inspired and disillusioned and then they're, People disrobe and people die and people commit suicide and and uh, they bomb people in Iraq and Afghanistan <laughs> and they did in London a few years ago and in America and then there's floods and hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis and tidal waves and volcanoes. So, in, the, in other words, you know, what what is the priority? What is the purpose? And that is awakened awareness. And seeing things as they are. So, so knowing Dhamma, recognizing, realizing the way it is. And, and so it's not defined, you know, if I say the way it is. Even if I say all conditions are impermanent, that's not... That's not a, a kind of what I'm asking you to believe that all conditions are impermanent. Or that by believing or reiterating that statement, all conditions are impermanent, do you really understand Dhamma? But that's a reflection. So that the conditions, whether they're refined or coarse or personal or right or wrong or good or bad, they're impermanent gross or subtle. And that which is aware, that awareness of conditions, is the unconditioned. So that's why we call it the deathless. And that, that's consciousness, pure consciousness, with awareness. In terms of the reality of this moment, here and now, 
So in terms of this moment, you know, you can, is consciousness the deathless and all that kind of thing? You can, you can get into kind of arguments and, you know, about what consciousness really is and, and, uh, what it is in Pali and in the scriptures and how it's used and so forth. But in terms of this moment, you know, this is, this is all that there is. So the investigation is to penetrate it now, not through scriptural views or through ideas or, or definitions of consciousness, but in recognizing, you know, that this moment, consciousness, are you experiencing consciousness? Anyone unconscious, right? <laughs> and how are you experiencing consciousness? Through the self? Ajahn Sumedho's... Just rubbish? Ajahn Sumedho's got it all wrong? What's he talking about? Or, or God, it's really profound, or... What happened? That's not it either. It's, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's just this, this pure state of attentiveness that I recognize through the sound of silence. And when I use that term, what, I, what I'm aware of is, uh, is this the kind of resonating vibratory, uh, is it a sound or a vibration or whatever, but I'm not interested in the terminology even, but in the reality of it. It's like this. And then resting in this, Ajahn Sumedho dissolves, no, dies, there's no Sumedho in it. You know, the sense of me as a separate person, as a personality, ceases. But there is consciousness, and it's like this. So this is the testing ground, is this moment here and now, from the point you're in, from the, the body, the karma, the conditions, uh, the way you are emotionally, physically, mentally, or psychologically, or, or uh, whatever, is like this, you know, that awareness is always putting the psychological in, as, as an object. You know, if you're feeling inspired or depressed or sad or happy or peaceful or confused. The awareness of that, awareness of the, of the condition, awareness of the body, awareness of the sensory impingement, of sound or sight, of smell, taste, touch. So this is like the, the, this awareness Gate to the deathless, amatasa tovara, yeistoda vanta. Those who who hear this, <laughs> now you might you might hear what I you know me talking, but do you really really hear? Can you really hear, or do you just react to what what you hear? And so these are these are the questions, you know. Of, of learning to trust this awareness, recognize it, cultivate it. Because it's natural, it's not created, it's not dependent. 
And so it fulfills all that we, in the terminologies of Theravada Pali Buddhism, of Nibbana, of the deathless, of the unconditioned. It's this. And then the conditioned is seen, you know, as you're aware of the feeling, the emotion, the, the, so what you see, hear, smell, taste, touch through the senses. Uh, that becomes the aramana or the arom or the, you know, you're putting it in it, its position. It's an object in consciousness. It's no, you're no longer attaching to it in big, and making this, this aramana the subject of your experiencing. Like when you experience life from the personal, it's always you're taking memories and a deluded sense of self attaching to that. You experience life from this is happening to me and I like this and I don't like that. And so then you're, you're experiencing, you're still conscious, but, but the subject is, is not the pure subject anymore. It's the, it's the object that you're attached to. You experience life through reaction to, you know, you're just caught in reactivity, in habit patterns. And so this is why, what, why we suffer, because the life is false and unreal. There's no, there's nothing to it really. And yet, we, you know, we suffer endlessly uh, from this delusion of a self. Now, taking that too, you know, where just proving what suffering and non-suffering is as experience, as reality now. So when when there's this awareness, there's there, you know there's alertness, there's intelligence. It's not in, not in a dull, stupid state, not in a trance. It's clear, bright consciousness. And then if I'm suffering on some kind, over something on a personal level, if I'm aware of that. It, it it drops away, it dies, it ceases. And that's a death of the self. The self is dying. So you're experiencing death. We experience it all the time, but we don't even know it. Because we're always seeking rebirth in something. Trying to find happiness or distract ourselves, get feel feel inadequate or unhappy or irritated or frustrated or disillusioned and then we we look for something else. I mean go around, you know, this is what rebirth is. You're always seeking rebirth in something. So in uh, in the like in inter investigating the noble truth, in recognizing this uh, emptiness where the where the ego ceases without trying to to create it again is like this, and it doesn't seem like anything on in the values of dualistic conditioning. It's absolutely worthless, and so <clears throat> it's easy to overlook because we're looking for heaven. Maybe maybe you ordained in order to go to heaven. You're thinking Nibbana is, uh, you know, really 
some kind of blissful, permanent blissful state that you, you'd like to have forever, where you never feel insecure and, and, ever, and you feel loved and nurtured by Dhamma all the time and everything's just wonderful, is a desire to go to heaven. That's personal. But this is impersonal, deathless, it's real, it's reality. And it's non-suffering. Now, in regards to Alan Cole's uh, death, you know, that is a very sad perception. I'm talking for myself. <laughs> so, you know, that, that he, he uh, killed himself. So then in terms of, you know, recognizing that this perception of Alan, and now that name Alan Cole is connected with the word suicide. And Alan Cole somebody I know personally and like very much. So, so that's, you just recognize it, this is how it is, you know, in terms of memory, you know, and, um, and the effect of, of that, of, of the name, Alan with suicide, is like this. Now what I'm picking up on is a, is a kind of sadness. Now if I grasp that sadness, you know, oh, why did he get it caught up into why and whose fault is it and and who's should we have been more sensitive to his needs or who, you know on and on like that? Then we suffer from it. But this sadness is is the result of you know the conditions for sadness are present and and one is aware of sadness without grasping it. So it's not suffering. It starts, I suffer, when, when I, if I suffer it's because I'm grasping the sadness, wishing it never happened, wondering why, who's to blame, and, and how could he have done that, or whatever. You know, then I, I create, it's always from the self, from me, uh, as something separate from him. Now this is just observing, you know, Witnessing to, to what happens in in consciousness, observing in consciousness, it's like this. So the sadness. Still, when I think of Alan and and then the sadness is like this, but it's not dukkha. In the sense of it's not it's it's just recognizing when you see, you know, when you see or hear something sad or tragic, you feel like this, this, this feeling arises. Then you know that feeling is like this, so you're not, you know, you're not, you're, you're aware, you're willing to feel sad, in other words, without grasping it. You're not indulging in it, or trying to just uh, suppress it, because you, you're finding the way of non-suffering. So, this realm, the conditioned realm, is about loss, isn't it? All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. This is one of our basic monastic reflections. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise. 
will become separated from me. And this is, because that's what this life is. It's about birth and death, about loss and separation, coming together and parting, about physical birth and growing up and getting old and dying. And so the, and these have those qualities, you know, characteristics and qualities and, and, and so forth that are just natural to the conditioned realm. But our, our refuge is in the unconditioned, not in the conditioned anymore. Our liberation is through awareness rather than through uh, wishing to have eternal life as a person. Wanting to, to make myself an immortal soul. So you know, when I really look at self, you know, Sakyaditi, I can't, I can't see anything in Sakyaditi that I would want for eternity. <laughs> because it, it's merely, you know, it's just, it's just soap bubbles. It's foam on the sea. There's nothing to it. It's nothing, you know, it's, it's, it's not something to, to treasure or, or hold on to, but to recognize. And that, that awareness then is the, you know, the gate or the way into that ultimate reality, the deathless, here and now. It's not something to put off till you get your samadhi practice or you get all the right conditions that you, and then you can really meditate. I've been waiting for, for, you know, all these years, 40 years now, for the perfect monastery. So, you know, and go back to Wat Pa Pong and, and uh, you know, I can see things there. I don't particularly, you know. But it's good enough. Wherever, you know, Wat Pa Pong is good enough the way it is. Here, everybody, it's good enough the way it is. I'm not asking you to believe that, but you know, and to say you have to believe this, but to see how discontentment arises through, you know, wanting it's something you don't have or wanting things to be what you think they should be. Say, it, it, what we have here is, is good enough for awakening, for enlightenment. I'm not saying it's the best conditions. We don't need the best conditions. We, we just need that, uh, say, Dhamma Vinaya, four requisites. And then that's, that's, that's good enough. And so, you know, this is an encouragement, not, not to, you know, to try to criticize you for, for being discontented with the way it is, but to encourage you to, to really switch on the light, the floodlight of awareness, to grasping discontentment is like this. You know, when I grasp my discontentment, look at this cheese, only a few pieces for 16 monks. What do they think? 
you know, if I grasp that, then I, then I, I could really get very, you know, I could, you know, get irritated over something I don't really care about, such as cheese. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, but it's recognizing and, and uh, you know, that, that life isn't, that, that death is, is the natural movement of conditioned phenomena. It's birth and inevitable resolution in death. And the deathless is our refuge. And a deathless is not in the future. It's about here and now and mindfulness. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening. <laughs>